It's Wednesday, therefore it's podcast time. Now, last week I said it was Friday, so it was podcast time. And so what you can conclude from that is that there is no consistency to my podcast recording schedule. That will change all in good time. But that does not negate the fact that you should all listen to it on Thursday when the podcast drops. Unless you send in a doctor's note, then I will give permission to listen throughout the week. But as well as listening to it on Thursday, we need a larger contingent listening to it on the rest of the week because we need to get ourselves... We don't just want to get up to the top of the charts on Thursday and then drop back down again. I don't know how these charts work. And I don't know what charts I'm on about. Is the Apple charts, is that what we look at these days? We will need to get up the charts. Because, well, shall I have a I'm not going to look at the charts now. But I'm going to predict we're not in them. And it's about time we were. Top 100. Okay? Top 100... Of a certain category. Is this comedy? It's up to you to decide. I don't know what category we're in. Okay, but oh, Spotify, that's what people listen to podcasts on these days. Get us up the charts and keep us there. So subscribe, like, and let's get listening. I'm Alex Boone, and this is the Boondoggle Podcast. And so we're on episode 11 now. So you probably, I mean, you might have jumped in from... I mean, that's fair enough if you jumped in now, because I think there's definitely an upward improvement as you go on. So if you have just jumped in, it's a podcast where I tell, tor- where I tell stories from a book that I found... And the book is called The Boondoggle. That's just a coincidence that my name is Alex Boone and the book is The Boondoggle. And yeah, so I tell stories from this book. And then uh, there's also some rambly nonsense as well. It's hard to decipher what are the stories and what is my own life. But that doesn't matter okay all that matters is that for half an hour a week i'm entertained and you're entertained sometimes it feels like the primary uh the first thing comes first and a lot of people may disagree that the the uh the performer am i a performer that the performer's entertainment should come first. But in this case, it does. Or does it? I don't know. Right. I'm drinking a cup of tea and it's uh, 7pm. And in this day and age, caffeine past 7pm is a nightmare. Well, many young folk 
would uh, would ridicule my uh, my carefree attitude to caffeine. They'll say I'm up all be up all night. But then adults who are 50, 60 years old, they'll have a coffee at 9pm. And they say us young folk don't know how to party anymore. And that is confirmation proof right there. Okay. Shall I apologise? Right. In advancement of my cancellation in... Is that that the right phrase? I don't know. But last week I said it was nice to be one of the cool kids who were in tier three uh, of lockdown. Um, But maybe that was a bit um, bit silly to say that. You know, it's not cool to break the rules. Sometimes it is. Um, In school, I didn't really do it much then. But... In, you know, gov- not government rules, some government rules. All right, there are some government rules that's cool to break. E.g., um, like, don't, um, just don't go in the Buckingham Palace. Okay, so, is that government? Right, so that rule, because, like, you know, the royal family isn't, um, you know, we don't all love the royal family. I mean, they're nice people, but it's not a positive institution as a whole. So, like, if the government rule is don't go in the Buckingham Palace, that's a cool rule to break. But when it comes to a pandemic, it is not cool, okay? I was just trying to have some positive because... When I was at school, I wasn't a rule breaker. And for once in my life, I'd like to be part of that gang. But if you took that the wrong way and thought I was saying it's nice to um, spread the old COVID, then that's your fault, okay? That's your fault. So, was that an apology? Hmm. Mm, that would do if it needs an apology right either way I'm not cancelled alright so I'm recording this on bonfire night am I? 5th of November is this the 5th? remember remember the 5th of November is this the 5th? no it's the 4th but people are celebrating tonight Um, yeah so now we're in lockdown again This is an awful cyclical nature because the first series of this podcast, we're in lockdown. Second series, we're in lockdown. You could almost think it's something I do just to entertain myself. But it's not. I do it for you, the listeners. Okay? So, let us continue. I'm really hot. I'm in the podcast jacket, the nice pink podcast jacket, and it's hot. Okay. Let's begin story one. And this one is called The London Way. And this is another story from our friend Toby McNaughty. When a man loves a woman, 
be seen on TV. It's a love that keeps him wedged in his own city. Now Toby McNaughty will track her down on a quest to find if true love knows no bounds. If you uh, remember last week, Toby, he got the lorry down to uh, Enfield um, with Flanagan. Uh, If I have any Irish listeners who are um, not happy with my Irish accent, then uh, I apologise. But I'm doing my best for everyone. You know, you've got to have multicultural people in your stories. So I'm just doing my best. All right. So, yeah, Toby got the lift. Toby got the lorry down to London with a bloke called Flanagan. And Flanagan was also a wedged man, meaning he had bloody hefty legs because he had a lovely life subscription as well. And his little AI bloke, well, that's the thing. It was a bloke. And, uh, yeah, it was called Winston. And he didn't know he was, uh, yeah, was attracted to men. Turns out he was, because the lovely life algorithm decided he was. Well, they didn't decide he was. They knew, because they know enough about him. All right, so this story is called The London Way. It was now seven in the morning, and the people of London were rising from their slumber. Toby eyed the shops. This land was alien to him. In his 40 years of life on Earth, 39 had been spent in Yorkshire. He spent a year in Manchester at the age of 21, but the culture shock sent him back to Yorkshire pretty swiftly. But this land of London was something else entirely. Cockfosters, he shouted as he saw the name of the local newsagent. Fucking Irish bastards dropped me off in some filthy old village. Oh, thank you, sir. Jennifer is certainly not in Cockfosters. I don't know what he gets up to in his spare time, but I do not want a part of it. He pulled up his top and read the writing engraved on his chest. Shaw Ditch London. Gin Cockfosters. Bloody hell. Who does he take me for? A young boy about 13 cycled by on his paper round. Toby called out to him. Oi, you, lad. Get out of Shaw Ditch. Not from rare, dear, are ya? No, so it's a young boy, therefore high-pitched voice. Oh, I guess leave you and I tell you where you won't be going. Fair enough, lad, I'll leave this shit all alone. So get a tube, south, pick dilly line of King's Cross. Giddell, not again, hold on, lad. He pulled the knife from his rucksack and raised his top to begin engraving once again. The boy saw the disaster of a torso and recoiled. Oh, mate, leave it there. I got a pen. He chucked the pen to Toby, who wrote down the instructions. Piccadilly to King's Cross. Yep, next. I don't know, mate. Someone get it. Bloody hell, get help you up. 
he said, pocketing the pen without the boy noticing. He found himself at the tube station watching the swarms of people channeling through the turnstiles. They would tap their card onto the yellow pad and the turnstile would open. Toby had no money, however. That's why he was in this mess in the first place. If he had money, he would have stayed at home and listened to the sweet, sweet tones of Jennifer. He also would have bought another rucksack full of useless crap at her request. A group of youths lurked by the turnstiles, lingering suspiciously. Toby watched as one followed a suited man through the turnstile, tucking himself right against him as the bar span around and not paying a thing. Oh, oh, bloody hell, that's the way of legs. But as he looked at his own legs, he realised he had no chance tucking himself in behind a businessman. He needed a smaller target. Thin legs to complement his chunkier thighs. A group of teenagers in school uniform passed by, heading for the turnstile. Getting perfect, he said as he spotted the thinnest of the group. No problem squeezing behind her. She was about 16, her tie short and chunky, and her top button undone. Toby followed her towards the turnstile. She tapped her card and went forward. He hesitated, losing his nerve. Bloody hell, he belched. He looked back, but the swarms of people were coming behind him, so he had to move. He moved forward into the turnstile. It jammed. He and the teenager were stuck in the turnstile. Right, so this is a young girl. Mate, what the fuck do you think you're doing? I'm wedged again! I'm wedged again! He shouted to the ceiling. He panicked and wiggled himself about, but onlookers looked on aghast. It's my legs, you have to understand. A security guard was making his way towards them from behind. Toby was locked in a cage of his own making. He wiggled more. He broke free, falling on top of the girl in front. He pulled himself up and got going. Legs, ahoy! He shuffled his legs across the linoleum floor, wiggling his hips as he did so. The security guard let the barriers and went after him. Come on, legs. You're not meatbags. You're perfect specimens of glory. He legged it as fast as he could, but the security guard was quick. He certainly had not spent a significant amount of time wedged in a sofa. As he neared the escalator, Toby lost his footing. He stumbled, crashing onto the banister, catapulting him downwards. Bloody fucking hell! Headfirst he went, like a skeleton bob champion. He flew off the edge of the banister and straight into the open doors of the awaiting train. He regained his composure to see the doors closing just in the security guard's face. Then he relaxed. Bloody hell! Anyone got any munch? I'm hungry. They looked at him with disgust and returned to their phones. Toby remained on the floor until he heard the announcement. King's Cross Station, please mind the gap. Come on, legs, this is us. But before he could get up, he was trampled by the mass exodus from the carriage. He huffed, accepting this was the London way then heaved himself off the carriage just in time. But leaving the underground required the same system as entering. The dreaded turnstile. Toby McNaughty saw it and readied himself. Right, legs. It's about confidence. 
You're not meatbags. You've proved that. It's confidence and timing. You could fit behind an adult man in that turnstile. I bloody know it. He psyched himself up, looked around and marched forwards. He spotted the perfect target. A suited adult man. No scandal likely here. The suit tapped his card. It beeped. Toby held close. His crotch brushed the man's behind. But they were through. The man turned around. What on earth are you doing? Oh, that was me. <laughs> That's happened now, lad. On your go, said Toby, with the confidence of an unplucked chicken. And on he went. Anywhere he looked, there was food. Shoreditch could wait. He first had to satisfy the hunger in his belly. He approached the McDonald's counter with his rucksack open. I've got bubble bath that smells like Prosecco, a kilo of blue tack and an avocado slicer. I'll take a large Big Mac meal, please, sir. The spotty staff member was befuddled. Sorry, sir. We only take money here. He threw his rucksack on the floor in anger. Bloody transnational corporations. Whatever happened to customer service? He picked his rucksack up and stormed out of the station, continuing his quest for Jennifer, eventually. But first, food. A real action-packed story. I mean, these, these, the adventures of Toby McNaughty... They, yeah, they can like vary. Like they've got, like last week it was quite um, it was more of a talky one. It was an emotional journey. It was ex- expositional in a way, but this one, action packed. A chase from a security guard. Potential scandal. Being uh, squeezed into a turnstile with a young girl. Not what we want. But Toby is now in London. In uh, at King's Cross, and I'm sure many of my listeners would have been to King's Cross, and they know that at that station there's a lot of food on offer. But Toby can't. He well, back up north in the Yorkshire, he um, you could swap, like because it, you know, it's nice homely um people that run the cafes they might let you swap an avocado slicer uh, uh, some Prosecco bubble bath for some food if you're really desperate but down in London you got your McDonald's and they won't they won't let you do that they'll have to email up to corporate and ask if uh, if it's allowed so Toby's having some trouble that old uh, London accent. North London, I was trying to specify. North London. East North London. North. Hello. It's, you can, it's, just, it's all well and good. But then as soon as you make it a child. Hello. 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 This sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? it? Sounds ridiculous. But I'm working with what I've got. When I've been in the big city of London. I see people doing the old uh, squeeze, squeeze into two turns, turnstiles, and I admire their chutzpah. 
because in the end, at the end of the day, whoever you do it to, like, I mean, yeah, you'll that they'll be bothered for a second, but if you do it smoothly, which I from I've never seen anyone fail, but yeah, if you do it smoothly, what have you got to lose? That's the thing. Sometimes you don't do it smoothly. And I've never seen anyone get called up for it. Apparently, um, Russell Brand used to just jump over. This is before he was famous. He, Russell Brand used to just jump over the turnstiles and say, I'm from the future! But, of course, you, uh, well, you could try that. You could uh, really uh, baffle a uh, security guard. Fans of the first series may be feeling like they're missing a bit of old uh, Debbie Snuggles. And you're in luck, because she's back. And this story is called Debbie the Sellout. These are the tales of Debbie Snuggles. Oh, Debbie, my girl, you're going to be pleased to see this when we get here. Oh, girl, you're going to be all jazzed up. You could crush an egg with a wink. Debbie and Jack were now in the Los Angeles area. Of course, Debbie was her usual glamorous self, and Jack had got himself into his finest suit. Your track record of pleasant surprises is hardly spectacular. And I've got a right mind to say, this is your final chance. Yes, that's what I'll do. This is your final chance. Well, sweet chicks, I know you. I know what makes you tick. And I got no doubt whatsoever this ain't gonna put a shine on those beautiful eyes of yours. They headed into a pristine office building. Giant windows, a sign of success. They took the lift up to the 25th floor, a high office, a true sign of success. As they stepped out of the lift, they were greeted by a pair of Californian beauties. One looked like George Clooney, and the other like Jane Fonda. Hey, I'm Sean. Right off the bat, I'm going to tell you I love your... He turns to the woman to his right and she leans over and whispers in his ear. Your ASMR videos. Truly spectacular. I'm Samantha and we love them. We really do. How do you do it? Said his assistant. Tell tell me, Debbie, how do you come up with these videos? Persistence, dedication and commitment. And the sound of my sweet, sweet voice. What is it that you do? Would well, take a pew and enter into the business dojo. Sean began his presentation. Welcome to Flatty Tum Tum. Here's the pitch. One that sexy bod, but can't be bothered to get off your fat ass. With Flatty Tum Tum, we've done the work so you don't have to. It's packed full of microorganisms. We call them flat cats that enter your body and fight the fat themselves. While you sit back and chillax, millions of flat cats are conquering your worst enemy, fat. 
Within two weeks, you'll be so skinny, you'll need two belts. And what would you like me to do for you? Nothing but a little recommendation at the start and end of your videos. And a couple of times in the middle. You just read this. He slides a piece of paper towards her. She picks it up and reads it in her finest ASMR voice. Out with the fatty bum bum. In with the flatty tum tum. Debbie turned to Jack with a look of complete bafflement. You think this is something I'd appreciate, Jack? You don't know me at all. But I've seen that body of yours. Oh, mama, there's a Hollywood bard. And you keep saying you want to do good in the world. And what's more good than getting all those lovely ladies out there flatty tum tum? This is a despicable product, Jack. The kind of attitude this encourages is frankly obscene, and I resent the fact that you'd think I, of all people, would be impressed. Jack, Sean, and Samantha were dumbstruck by her reaction. Do you have any idea how hard I worked for this? She leapt up and slapped her six-pack and then clenched her buttocks. This took a strict regime. Five hours a day, five days a week, for five weeks. I did not resort to some magic drink for my beauty. Hard work gets a body like mine. I can't believe a thing like that even works. Miss Snuggles, the only obscene thing about this product is how much weight you'll lose, said Sean. This is a load of nonsense, and I won't be hearing any more of it. Jack, this was your last chance, and it looks like you've blown it. She got up and headed for the door in a right huff. Jack leapt off his chair and grabbed her by the hand. Oh, please, Deborah, it works, I promise you. Lord knows it. Do you want me to glug a couple of them shakes to get rid of that little tub of stuff around my thighs? Sean, Samantha, get this man some flatty tum-tum. Right, I don't know if that's... said Samantha. Get me a couple of shakes, ma'am. My job's on the line. Obediently, they all filled up. Obediently, they each filled up a cup of flatty tum-tum. It had a strange bluish hue to it, and it bubbled ominously. Jack looked at it with fear. That's the flat cats, said Sean. Jack lifted the cup to his mouth and downed it. His face was a sorry sight, pleading to the gods of agents everywhere that this was the right call. He finished it, then picked up the second cup, looking, looking pitifully towards Debbie, showing her he was trying his best. But it wasn't a sharp idea at all, for as soon as the second cup was back on the table, Jack Dingle felt a rumble. He clutched his stomach and whimpered. Sean rushed to the door, led Jack through it, and pushed him straight into the bathroom, holding the door shut tightly. This wasn't his first rodeo. From within the bathroom, you could hear all manner of noises. It was as if there had been an earthquake at the whoopee cushion factory. Over the hubbub, Debbie shouted to Jack through the door. Jack Dingle, you've let yourself down. 
your agency down, and worst of all, you let your client down. You're fired, Mr. Dingle. She pushed the button on the lift and stepped right in, staring Sean and Samantha in the face as the lift doors began to close in front of her. You can't buy a body like mine. You earn it, she said, and watched the doors close. Was it a moral tale? Some may say not. It was, uh, I mean, it's very current, isn't it? Or is it current or is it an issue that was probably about a year old? Because it's people like the Kardashians um, who are making hundreds of thousands of pounds selling diarrhea juice on Instagram. And this is what, you know, she's been... Debbie has tried to be roped into that kind of business. And you think, oh, she's taking a moral stand and being all... um, She's not, I mean, you know, I don't need to explain it to you. Basically, that's the story. Debbie is proud of her body. I'm not going to put any moral, um, you know, you interpret how you want. Okay? Debbie might not be your idea of a fine woman, but she is a woman. And she's a bloody well-rounded character. Uh, I did miss, I've missed doing that voice of Debbie's. I think it's one of, I think I fall into that voice uh, the easiest. Her and uh, Jack Dingles. Much, um, you know, it's just a, I think, because I'm, I do tend to listen to the ASMR videos when I'm all, um, I don't know, when I need a bit of comfort in my life. And in a way, I'm doing ASMR on myself as I record it. It's bloody alchemy. I'd like to end by discussing a man that many may know, many may not know. And this man is Ram Das. So I've been reading his book, Be Here Now. Supposedly it's like the, basically, the counterculture bible of the hippies of the 70s, you know. Uh, I got into it after, yeah, after watching The Trial of the Chicago 7, did some research into Abby Hoffman and, well, and the basic yeah, hippies. And and this guy, Ram Das, is an amazing guy. He uh, he was a, a psych- Harvard psychologist who worked with Timothy Leary, one of the first people to do studies with LSD. And um, he bloody loved it so much, the whole disassociation from yourself that he just kind of he just was chasing that feeling but he got annoyed because you do it and then 12 hours later it wears off so he went to India went on this spiritual journey and um, so he was called Richard Alpert and he changed his name after coming back from India being all spiritual 
he uh, changed his name to Ram Das, which means uh, something like lovely man or something like that. Um, and he's written this book, which um, is like the first bit is a short kind of uh, biography of how he got to this point. And then this middle section is written, it's like a kind of scripture in a way. It's written on like brown, like parchment paper. Uh, and it's got kind of uh, like pictures and um, kind of wise spiritual words and stuff on like this page. I've just randomly opened to says, the chicken sees, and it's got a picture of a chicken. And it says, when I met my guru, who knew everything in my head, I realized that he knew everything in my head, whether I liked it or not. He knew it. Um, I mean, so there's that. But then, the end is uh, a cookbook for a sacred life. And it's not just food. It's basically just, uh, you know, teaching you how to how you can live your, your spiritual life in regards to many things. But this bit really made me laugh. So I, I do, I buy, I'm not, I buy into this book and a lot of it, and it's, it's pretty amazing, it's worth a read. But then this bit, so this is called, this chapter's about cities, which is, uh, I think it, it's basically saying that if you, yeah, you know, if you're really enlightened being, if you're pretty spiritual, then you can have powers. Um, which, I mean, I don't know to what extent he means these powers work, but, um, but the whole point is that if you're, if you've got these powers, if you're enlightened enough to have these powers, then you wouldn't use them to enhance the ego. But he gives this example of a man who has, uh, he has, he's get, he's so enlightened, he's gained these powers, but he's used his powers to enhance his own ego. And this power is, he says, well, as an example of a misuse of power, one sadhu lifts a hundred pound bag of sand with his penis. Now, he just throws that out there. So it was the bit before. Um... There are many stories in India of yogis who, in the course of very intense sadhana, have uh, developed certain powers which they use either for fame or wealth or more subtle forms of ego enhancement. They read minds, change their physiological processes such as heartbeat, body heat, reaction to cold, etc. As an example of a misuse of power, one sadhu lifts a hundred pound bag of sand with his penis. Now... Ram Das just throws that in there and moves on without any, you know, you got to go into that. How, how heavy is a hundred pounds? I'm going to look that up now. Hundred pound in kilos. 45 kilos. How did he learn this? And that's not the kind of thing that would boost your ego. Do you work it out? What? And really, 
it's, yeah. I feel like he was just trying to extend it, you know. That's the thing that would boost your ego at the end of the day, wouldn't it? He's just trying, he's, he's attached a big bag of sand on because he's trying to stretch his willy. That's what's happening. And in the process, he's managed to lift up that bag. But people aren't saying, look at that man. He can lift a big bag of penis. <laughs> Pink bag of sand. He's basically stretching his willy. And there's the ego enhancement. Thank you. That's just a note to end on. So, yeah, last week I recommended um, The Trial of the Chicago 7. This week I recommend Be Here Now by Ram Dass. Um, it's from the 1970s. And it's like square. So the middle bit, you turn the book around and you read it vertically. So he's changing, he's mixing things up in that book. Um, it's just worth a, you know, check that out. Reigniting the whole hippie movement with this podcast. It's a good film though, that trial of the Chicago 7. Aaron Sorkin, what a guy. All right, um, just can't bear to say goodbye this week. Let's say bye. Visit the website. I've posted a blog, finally. And it's about me building my van. Um, there'll probably be a second one up by the time this comes out. Maybe even a third. Yeah, visit the website. www.theboondoggle.co.uk The Instagram, The Boondoggle Pod. The Twitter, Alex Boondoggle. I haven't really done any tweeting in a while. But give us a follow and maybe I'll start tweeting for you. Uh, yeah, that's all I've got to say for this week. See you later, boondoggers. And keep on boondogging. Goodbye. The podcast's over.